That's where you went wrong, though. Trying to use a program to do a thing. Yeah, well, Not I should have used idea. an app. Apps yeah. are way better than programs. <laughs> mm, for sure. Do you celebrate? You don't, if I remember correct, you don't celebrate Christmas? Nope, or Easter or Advent or Lent or any of them. Hmm. But Halloween. No. Normally, if you had remembered. No. <laughs> this is the Well, one. it is a careful balance because I'm not opposed to giving candy to strangers' children. Although when you say it like that, oh, it yeah. just sounds so creepy. <laughs> it does sound strange. Like, oh yeah, we have this tradition where like for the kids, it makes sense. We get candy. But then for the adults, it's like, this is kind of weird. Like <laughs> I turn on my porch light and children show up and I give them stuff. <laughs> Why doesn't this work other times? <laughs> So, I mean, thankfully we just, nobody came to our door. Well, we have, we have neighbors. So we live in an apartment complex. Well, it's not a complex per se. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like the apartment equivalent to motels. Simple. Um, where like, you don't actually like all the doors are, are public facing. All the doors are street facing. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. and our immediate neighbors to, uh, well to my right, right now when you're inside the, the apartment, but when you're, when you're like looking at our door there to the left, uh, have this giant uh, German shepherd who <laughs> should not be kept in an apartment that is like 800 and some square feet. Uh, mm-hmm. He's pretty That's much kept there all day, every day. So he's just like super hyper and barks at anything outside that moves. And he has a big mean <laughs> bark. And one time he lunged at me when he was outside and I happened to be outside. I've made a point to make it so that we're not outside at the same time anymore. Uh, but my co-host mm-hmm. Jim Briggs on the lightest form of flogging is also terrified of this dog. It's gotten to the point now where he texts me. I'm here and expects me to open the door before he even approaches my apartment. <laughs> so I imagine that keeps children away. <laughs> uh, that's yeah. reasonable. So that's the trick. I didn't realize you and Jim lived nearby. We do. Yeah. He's like, I think he's only like eight or nine minutes from my place. Mm. Although it takes him and longer because he avoids yet, left turns. Right, what? So. <laughs> left turn. You haven't moved yet. No, right? no, we're doing that in two and a half months. Big day. Sweet. Yep. Oh, I was going to ask you something, but that's not something you would care about. Apple TV is out. Apple TV plus. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. That's cool. No, oh, there was something else. Nice. Did you watch it? Well, uh, no, uh, like also oh, they released like 10, nine or 10 series, uh, three episodes a mm-hmm. piece from those series. And then after that, it's going to be one episode a week. Uh, and mm-hmm. I just got off work. So no, I haven't watched anything. You hear that boss? No. Was it released? Was not today? watching TV during work. <laughs> what (laughs) so it was released today yep nice uh no this is it did you hear about uh google acquiring fitbit i did i heard about it in our slack oh yeah because of um what's that david latchett that posted that Uh uh-huh and he said he's (laughs) looking for other options (laughs) oh man it's getting to the point where it's hard to avoid google if you're not apple I mean, it was always that way with smartphones, but now like even Mm. like if you want to have like a thermostat or I guess you could go (laughs) Amazon, but I I wouldn't want to go Amazon either. Everything wants to listen to you. Anything with a computer. Yeah. Start wondering like, is there when, when do you get into monopoly territory? I don't really know the rules on all that, but like if, if everything's Google, or everything's Apple. Yep. What about the little guys? Well, know. that's happening. Like there's like both Republicans and Democrats right now are like wildly agreed that they need to start splitting up some of these major tech companies because they think it's worse mm-hmm. than uh, mm-hmm. worse than Microsoft back in the day. Ironically, I haven't really heard anything about splitting Microsoft up and Microsoft just scored a $10 billion AI deal with the US government. <laughs> wow. I guess that's not why (laughs) they're like, Oh, we need you also. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, the, the contenders were like Amazon, Microsoft. Uh, I don't think Apple was in the running. I'm trying to remember who else, but it was major, major uh, Google. Uh, it was major tech companies that were, that were all in the running. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Are they trying to uh, create the president for 2020? <laughs> is that what the, the bill Honestly, is Honestly, Trump feels like a beta of, an, of a really bad AI <laughs> <laughs> that was trained on like famous athletes or something. <laughs> Talking about practice. <laughs> Not a game. <laughs> They needed a way to get more real data from like <laughs> politicians and stuff. So they started with people likable <laughs> and or <laughs> at least ways to get famous. Got them in there. Now they're getting all this new data for training for the next extent. Oh man. Well, I mean, most of the, most of the good presidents are dead. <laughs> Title. <laughs> Title. <laughs> so what are you going to do? Train them on George Bush, but then it can't pronounce nuclear. That was mispronounced <laughs> intentionally. <laughs> Okay, I was, about say, I was about to say, is it, or does he say nuclear? And I was like, no, that's the right one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, you sent me a, uh, a big fat list of links to click on, and I clicked on all of them. I read some of them oh, really? and skimmed others, uh-huh. but I feel, I feel prepared. I good. feel good. I feel loose. I feel like I'm ready to, uh, to record a show, which we're doing. This is a show. Mm-hmm. Although I was going to say something that was meant for off the show. Oh, yeah. you can choose if it should be off. You, you or go on. ahead. Um, yeah, the, the topic, I'm, I'm slightly worried, not super worried that it could be one of those like you answer. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then we're done. Don't you hate it when that <laughs> happens? Uh, Thankfully, yeah. there's and a low so, chance of me agreeing with any of our hosts on anything. <laughs> That's helpful. Yeah, you're welcome. That's why you were chosen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so I don't, I don't think that'll happen. I spent quite a bit of time like trying to think of like, what are some angles or some good questions that can make this a little more interesting than yep. Um, And, but at the same time, if in your research and thinking about it, if there's a direction that you're like, Oh, I really wanted to talk about this then just go for it. Cause I don't have anything I'm super passionate like this is what we should go towards but I have a few things that I think I I feel like this was I felt like there was a lot there I was just like where where is it (laughs) I kept trying to hunt for it and so um so yeah if you see where all the value the valuable conversation is feel free to bring in that I'll be like a uh, like a bloodhound on the hunt I'll Mm. find the dead body perfect like that German shepherd I got released (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, that was terrifying Jim is out there terrifying somewhere. when he lunged at me like I, I carry a knife and I, my instinct was to like put one arm up so that he can't go for my neck and then reach with the other arm for my knife <laughs> just like in call of duty that's pretty impressive instincts <laughs> <laughs> that's what you do in call of duty the dog attacks you hit v v v v v v v v v for the knife yep. is that well yeah I'm thinking nice. uh, PC master race mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, enough. Sure. Uh, I only played on Xbox. But. Enough PC supremacy right. over here. Hmm. And let's talk about a um, software development company. Which, I don't know. I guess they work for not just PC. But anyway. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so recently, uh, <laughs> I was reading about Mark Benioff. Do you know how to say his name? Founder of Salesforce. Looks like uh, Benioff. I'm going to go with uh, Benioff. Benioff. Okay. Maybe we could just call him Benny for short. (laughs) Yeah, there's no pronunciation key on the Wikipedia. I like Benny. Okay. It beats Mark because then people will think we're talking about Mr. Zuckerberg. Mm, Or trying to be spiritual and bringing the Bible into it. That's also the case, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So according to Mark 5, 7... (laughs) (laughs) No. <laughs> no. So, uh, Benny, uh, when he started Salesforce, he had this idea um, to, to have like a philanthropic model for his company, a way to keep the company being charitable, I guess. And so he calls it the 111. Um, and so, how it works is that 1% of the company's product, 1% of their earnings, and 1% of their time, um, so like the employee's time. Um, is given to charity or used for charity. Um, so, you know, 1% doesn't seem like too much. And maybe for a really small company, it wouldn't be that much. But, you know, um, for Salesforce, which is like 
think I read $16 billion a year is how much they make. 1% of that is a good number. Didn't spend the time. 1.6 would be 10. So $160 million, I guess, would be 1% mm. of that. Um, and so that's a lot. And then you have a lot of comp- uh, people working for you. 1% of their time adds up to a lot of time that ends up g- being given. Um, but anyway, so of course, that's the huge level. Um, but it makes sense that bring it down to smaller scale. I mean, there's still going to be some benefit there, some uh, donations to charity, some time spent. Um, and so that's what he's doing is, uh, you know, he's trying to inspire other companies to say, hey, take this pledge. And there's a place you can sign up for the pledge. I don't know if they send you marketing emails if you put your email in and say, I promise to pledge. But <laughs> um, that's what they're doing. Um, and one of, one of the quotes on that page uh, is from him. It says, we believe that the business of business is improving the state of the world. And this, this, this just uh, got me thinking about like, you know, I've heard mission statements of companies, especially like tech companies. Um, you know, I think we often think, you know, the mission of organiz- businesses is to make money. If their mission statement was there, just be make money. Um, but you look at a lot of them and that's not what they say. They're more kind of having the attitude, maybe not that specific data, 1%, 1%, 1%, but the attitude of we're not just a company to make money. Um, so I was reading some mission statements and like SpaceX has said, um, we're founded under the belief that a, of a future where humanity is out exploring the stars is fundamentally more exciting than one where we are not. And <laughs> Pinterest is. That's delightful. <laughs> Pinterest is uh, help people discover things they love and inspire them to go do those things in real life. WeWork is WeWork's mission is to create a world where people work to make a life. I love that. Uh, Every every time I hear about WeWork, because there's been a lot of news about them needing bailouts and mm -hmm. their CEO getting a golden parachute and everything. And every time I hear about them, I think, (laughs) what the heck do they actually do? I need to look that up. And one time I finally did look it up and I was like, well, that's confused. They basically just buy property. That's what they do. I have no idea what they do. (laughs) They're trying to be the Uber of like co-working and working spaces. Uh, Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And what that means is they have to own like all the property. And once they own Mm. all the property, then they can like, I mean, they're they're renting it out. But at some point when they become like the only game in town, they can raise prices. Uh, But they're Mm. just hemorrhaging money just like Uber did because what they're trying to do is put everybody else out of business. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I had to spend a lot of money to ultimately try to make money. Exactly. You have to spend money to make money. What, <laughs> what Silicon Valley takes that to mean is you have to spend billions upon billions of dollars <laughs> to put everybody out of business so that only you can make money. See, that's a mission statement right there. <laughs> yeah, it's actually real life's mission statement. <laughs> <laughs> we just need to find investors now. Yeah. I imagine. <laughs> well, if you go as a nonprofit and you get, you convince Salesforce to give you their 1%, there's 160 million for you. Yeah, that could work. Um, and, then, and then the last one I was going to read is um, Airbnb's very simple, uh, very elegant is belong anywhere. Um. And so, yeah, just, just thinking about all of these and just, uh, how, you know, like I said, nobody's, nobody's mission statement is as blunt as that. It's like, yeah, put everyone out of business and make a lot of money by owning all the property. (laughs) Um, do you, how, how true to, in your mind, when you look at these companies, do you feel like their mission statements are valid? Are they really seeking to live this mission statement out or is it just nice marketing? Oh, um, I mean, for some of these, it's very clear that their strategy from the beginning has been to put everybody out of business and not make the world a better place. Mm. Um, and for others, like Pinterest is a really interesting example because they're technically social media. They do Mm. none of the creepy tracking stuff that Facebook, Instagram, even Twitter, everybody does in the social media space. Um, and they just mm-hmm. went public. Uh, they're not doing so hot. Uh, they just went public and I think they're struggling because their mission statement I really like is like, we want to show people mm-hmm. interesting things and then like 
make them do them like make them mm-hmm. make those interesting things themselves. Um, and I think that's a really cool project, a really cool idea. Uh, and the question is, can you make the kind of money that wall street wants you to make while you're doing that? And I think they are, I guess that's, that's the tricky part is as soon as you go public, this is different for private corporations to some degree, but as soon as you go mm-hmm. public or you're funded by, uh, like private investors, your goal is to do the thing that's in your mission statement and to make all the people who invested in you happy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and the, like that has to be part of your mission statement, even if it's not stated, like if it's not mm-hmm. like clearly based on your actions and the things that you say and earnings reports and everything, if it's not clear that that's one of your goals, nobody's going to support you and you're going to die cold and alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually what you'll do is get a golden power shoot, but that's neither here nor there. So what is a golden power golden parachute? Sorry. Uh, it's when a high level executive leaves a company. Like let's say that he was like running around, like touching people inappropriately, but he still manages Mm. to get like half a million dollars or probably more than that. Uh, but like millions of dollars as his like, Hey, we need you to leave. Here's, you know, $3 million. Can you not be here anymore? And then he goes off and finds (laughs) another job. It's called a golden parachute. Interesting. I thought you literally meant like a body <laughs> parachute. I've never heard that. Term. Yeah, that's that's so not effective. Like, <laughs> I thought you're just saying like they're doing so great they bought a golden parachute. <laughs> yeah, not for use in the real world. <laughs> um. So I guess to answer your question, uh, what I'm trying to say is. I think some of these companies probably really want to do this thing. And the problem is that as soon as you start taking other people's money, that becomes a more complicated venture. Mm. So mm. yes, maybe, but not as their only goal. Mm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. I like to be, I, I tend to give people benefit of the doubt, which probably isn't always the best thing to do. But like when I see these, I'm like, Oh, I bet like they they really want to do these things. And, but at the same time, you know, if I've, whenever I've ever thought of a business idea, which is rarely, I, I don't have too much of a desire, if any desire to try to start anything. Not one of those serial um, entrepreneurs, are you? Definitely not. Um, you can make like a uh, competitor to Frosted Flakes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm quite happy with my cereal choices now. I don't need to add a new one to the market. Um, <laughs> There's plenty. Fun fact uh, whenever this is a side note, but whenever it, it just seems the thing when missionaries talk about coming home from wherever <laughs> they are uh, and how overwhelming the grocery store is upon return, the cereal aisle is the key example. I was I just go to the cereal aisle. I was just going to say, I wish Craig was here when we talk about cereal because like, I don't know if you guys have had this conversation with him, but everywhere else in the world, it is not the case that when you walk down the grocery aisle, there are like, Mm -hmm. I'm guessing that there might be at your average, like supermarket, like uh, Safeway or, or what have you a hundred different kinds of cereal. Way too many. Yeah. Yeah. Far too many. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how many, but yeah, it's a lot. And then you got all the off brands of those same kinds of cereal. Right. Right. And then the bagged form of all those. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Um, Anyway, where were we? Uh, you <laughs> oh, were talking yeah, about I'm not a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I think, I think, okay, what am I good at? I like these things. These are my interests. These are my hobbies. What within those would be a value? What might make money? You know, it's, I don't, it, it, and this is probably maybe why I'm not an entrepreneur and why I never actually care to pursue them because I'm not the type of person that, or whenever I've thought about, entrepreneurship, I don't sit there and think, you know, like, how can I make an impact in the world by starting a business? I don't care too much if it makes money or not, you know? Mm -hmm. And so probably why I've never pursued it. And so I just have a hard time imagining, like, it'd be interesting to have an honest conversation with CEOs, (laughs) (laughs) like a, a good number of them and ask them, like, you know, was your, was your purpose when you started this, was it the mission statement and you just wanted to make the world a better place and Hey, you turned out to make billions and billions of dollars. Cool. (laughs) Or was it like, let's make billions and billions of dollars. (laughs) (laughs) And this, and having a nice mission statement, a nice mission means that we're doing something people want, which means they'll give us money to make those billions. 
Yeah, I have never. So Jim has called me a uh, uh, entrepreneur, entrepreneurially minded person because I've tried a lot of different things on my own. Um, none of mm. them have ever taken off to the point where I've ever like quit my job and done the thing um, or mm. even taken off to the point where I've received a dollar. Um, <laughs> but mm. uh, with, I mean, with the exception of freelancing, which is kind of different because it's not like, oh, I'm going to like start a business that does something new. It's like, oh, I'm going to design stuff for people. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, I kind of don't understand and this might just be me. Like I'm not, I'm not maybe an ideal capitalist because I don't understand the desire to make millions or billions of dollars. Mm, mm, Like, mm. I mean, I'm glad those people are out there and I'm glad that they exist because they create tons and tons of jobs. Not all of them. People Mm -hmm. like Uber create tons of jobs by putting lots of people out of work who then have to get jobs for them. Um, <laughs> but I mean, like when you think about what Apple has done for the world, uh, in terms of mm-hmm. like just the app store alone on iPhone, um, how many jobs Apple's creation of the iPhone app store and, and then the subsequent mm-hmm. competitive mm-hmm. competing products like the Android app store have really created mm-hmm. for the world. They put, they, they made it possible to become an, an in what's called an indie developer, uh, which wasn't mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. that. I mean, there were people who doing it, but it wasn't like in the, in the thousands or, or, or tens of mm-hmm. thousands rather um, like it is now. Actually, I have no idea how many indie developers there are. Uh, it is, diff- it's become more difficult now that the app store is kind of bloated, but um mm-hmm. So I'm glad these people exist. I'm glad that there are people out there trying to trying to make billions of dollars because in the, in the meantime, they end up uh, employing lots and lots of people to get there. But mm-hmm. I, I don't like when I think about Relight, I'm like, well, I really don't want it to get too big because we do have mm-hmm. a real mission statement. We would like to make money off of it at some point. I would love to do it full time because I love doing the thing and, and my wife loves mm-hmm. doing the thing. So if we could bring in enough to support us and our family and you know, maybe at some point somebody to do like administrative stuff, that would be great. But the idea that like, mm-hmm. Oh, we could like expand and expand and expand and expand and expand. I just, I have no desire to do that because as soon as like Relight does that anyway, it becomes so much more difficult, whether it's because we have investors or whether it's because we have more employees or whether it's because there's just more to keep track of. It just becomes more difficult to keep the thing on the track of doing what the mission statement is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, you know, you're saying for Relight, it's once you get more and more voices in and more and more, um, people that have expectations and are relying on the strength of your product, you know, it becomes a lot harder to use it for, for good, for the mission. Um, and you said specifically, like once you go public, you have your mission statement plus make people make the investors happy. And you can even maybe not to an extreme degree, but like even being private, if you expand so much where you have all these jobs writing on you, um, you may still say like, to, to keep these people employed. I have a responsibility to keep these people employed maybe. Um, but do you think, um, do you think it's maybe it depends on the person, but yeah. How do you think it's okay? Do you think the system of, of going public has its benefits to a mission statement in certain cases, um, that it's worth doing? Or do you think that, that problem with the mission statement just makes public going public, um, you know, really a giving up your mission for the sake of money. That's a good question. I think that while well, relight is kind of a unique example, because what we want to do is specifically like we are setting out to make reform, like old reformed resources that, you know, the people who marketed them originally are dead. And now we're just trying to pick up where they left off um, mm. because we think that those books are worth bringing into the present because we think they're still relevant, mm. et cetera. But that's such a narrow goal that mm. um, it necessarily only markets itself to a very niche crowd. Mm-hmm. And it's not the kind of project that could support say a 30 or 50 or a hundred person company. It just, probably couldn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm willing, I'm ready to be surprised and be like, Oh gee, we, we set up an opportunity <laughs> for people to support us with $5 a month. And now we're making $300,000 a year. What are we going to do? Like, we're not going <laughs> to keep that. Um, uh-huh. uh, and so, 
like I, I, I'd love to be surprised by that, but at that point you kind of have to, um, sorry, but to, to, for, for us probably to get to the point where we were making enough money to have multiple employees and, you know, to move much, much quicker, we would need to expand mm. the scope of what relight sets out to do. And I think mm. that's the, that's the truly tricky thing about going public is investors expect, especially in, in, in the, in the current model where most people expect to buy low, sell high investors expect that this year you're going to be making heaps more money than you were last year and your stock will be more valuable. And that's why they invested. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And in order to do that, you have to expand. That's, that's a Ferengi law of acquisition too. expand or die uh, Star Trek reference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I guess the question is before you go into it, you kind of have to figure out, okay, well, like, how are we going to expand? Like, how, how are we going to expand in a way in ways that stay true to the mission and our investors going to be happy with the rate of growth that, um, mm-hmm. you know, because if you're a company that like we make the best tires possible for electric midsize sedans, and like, we just want to make sure that everybody driving an electric midsize sedan on the road is safe. And that's the thing that we do. And you get investor money and that investor gets profit. And you know, everybody's happy until one day, like you hit your cap, like, well, we've, we've put tires on every midsize sedan on the road in the United <laughs> States. I guess we have to go to Europe. I guess we, ha- you know, and at some point you, uh, you hit the cap there. I guess we, you know, where's this going to go 300 years down the mm-hmm. road or, or do you just end it or do you buy the company back? That's an option. You, you, you know, you get it to the point where you've made enough money yourself to buy the company back and now you can just, now you're just happy. You're just selling Tesla wheels. Um, and I guess the bolt and the leaf and whatever I think anyway, um, (laughs) so I'm not saying that it's impossible, but it seems like a question that nobody's asking is like, so 10 years from now, how are Mm -hmm. investors going to be happy if all we exist right now to do is this relatively narrow thing? And how do we, you know, is there Mm -hmm. a vision for this in the future where our, our mission becomes more broad, but stays true to the spirit of the mission? Hmm. I mean, Uber is an interesting example because they're still trying to do roughly the same sorts of things like they're providing electric scooters. I think now they, there's Uber eats like the fields that they're expanding into generally makes sense for them, uh, even mm. if they are not exactly what their original mission statement was. But again, the problem is that their methods are still the same. <laughs> like, let's just put everybody out of business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's interesting, um, but of of course like um even if it's hard to stick to the mission it doesn't mean like it's uh, in, in how i'm seeing it how i'm looking at it it doesn't seem necessarily wrong or necessarily bad in in going public yeah. um just because um because like you said apple has helped so many people and going bigger going expander going expanding um, just benefits the economy and benefits people in a way that I guess, at least in our system, it just does. I'm not a, an economist, but <laughs> it seems to. Um, but I think that's one, one aspect that as I was thinking of the one, one, one thing, um, I think it's a great idea and I would never say like, don't do it. That's not right. You know? Um, but there was just something about it that like, I, th- I think it's great. And I think any company that would want to adopt that would be, uh, would do, would do well in doing that. I bet. Um, but like he said, uh, one of the quotes I found on Wikipedia, uh, <laughs> but one of the quotes that I found so it's true. That said, whenever we he said this, definitely 100% true. <laughs> sure. Um, he said, uh, you know, when he ca- had the idea for the one, one, one thing and just being philanthropic, philanthropic, um, he said it was this person he was talking to. I can't say her name. It's harder than Benny. Um, <laughs> she introduced, she introduced me to the idea and possibility of giving back to the world while pursuing my career ambitions. I realized that I didn't have to make a choice between doing business and doing good. I could align these two values and strive to exceed at succeed at both simultaneously. Um, and, you know, we're in through that, I think, uh, or at least as part of that, the one, one, one comes out. Um, and to me, as I was thinking about it, um, just 
the one 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 seems so minimal almost. It's like, you know, let's help the world by giving one percent of our product, our earnings, and our time to help charities. Um, but it's kind of it seems to be lacking a larger view of what he says. We believe the business of business is improving the state of the world. Like um, that, that whether or not that's fully true, um, and you feel free to comment on that. But um, this this idea that a business can be used as a whole to benefit the world. We don't just have to say, here's 1% of this, this, this. Now then the rest of the 99% is just about making money. We, you know. <laughs> um, it, it, if, if uh, I would imagine an entrepreneur, if they have the mindset of our mission is to help the world, um, then the 1% thing just seems kind of minimal and kind of, I don't know, sad, I guess, of like, why would I just give 1%? My whole purpose of this company is to help people. And so I'm, I'm succeeding now. One second here. Salesforce is, I'm looking at their Wikipedia page. And uh, let me just say, as soon as you start getting into like, whatever this is, the jargon just becomes unbearable. <laughs> it's like, we're a this that does that. And it's just like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, I don't know what any of these nouns refer to. <laughs> like, I need a like that weird now sunk. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like the, the, uh, yeah, Weird Al has a song with the corporate Symmetry. Synergies, something. Um, but so, uh, William Perkins has a really good book on vocation. Uh, and his, and I mean, this is just the reform perspective anyway, but, but, uh, his argument mm-hmm. is that, our work exists to promote the common good, which is why I really like that, uh, that quote about the business of business, uh, Mm -hmm. because I think that that's true. I think that if you, if your job isn't making the world better in some small way, uh, you know, and, and, and I say that like, this is, this is the Martin Luther thing. Like the guy who makes bread, if he didn't make that bread, where would the family get bread to eat? Like you, you might not mm-hmm. think about it. You might just think, Oh, well, my job is to make money by making bread. But like, it's actually the other, the other way around. Your job is to make bread. And because of that, you make money. Um, your job is to help mm-hmm. people. Um, mm-hmm. and the Bible talks about the sin of idleness all the time. And the reason idleness mm-hmm. is a sin besides the fact that it makes it really easy for us to sin in other ways is because we're all supposed to make our business helping other people. Like that's what mm-hmm. we are supposed to be doing with our time because we all need help because if we don't help each other, we'll die in the cold of winter. Um, like literally that's the, the that that's what we're all trying to do is avoid dying in winter and avoid being eaten by bears. <laughs> and we've gotten really good at it now to the point where so many of our jobs are like just working their way up the stack. Like, you know, in the, in a, to, to use a computer analogy, we used to write machine code. And now we're like working in Python where it's like, well, technically what you're writing is eventually being, uh, being executed on, you know, some sort of chip, but you don't have any knowledge of that. You don't have any knowledge of the memory you're using. Uh, in this case, it's like, well, you know, technically you might just be doing tech support for a company that helps, uh, like some, some of the likes like Salesforce, you might be doing tech support for Salesforce and Salesforce's job is, to help uh, other companies relate to their customers. And some of those customers are doing things like selling bread. And if they couldn't help their customers with the mold <laughs> issue, like, you know, at the end of the day, you've helped this company, help this company, help this company, help this person. And now we're mm. not going to die of a bear attack. Um, mm-hmm. Cause that's the thing about bears is they always come when they're least expected. <laughs> <laughs> I live, I live my life in fear. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so if that's the goal, then, then what's true for individuals is true for businesses as well. Businesses need to exist to make the world a better place because if they don't, the jobs they offer are not going to be jobs making the world a better place. Um, mm-hmm. and so, 
I guess that's the, that's the tricky thing. Like the Bible has always had this idea that like your vocation, your calling is to work for the common good, to love your neighbor as yourself in your, in your nine to five. And Mm. you're also called to not gleam the very corners of your field. So that if somebody who Mm. has no Mm. means comes along and they find some weed or some, you know, whatever it is that you're growing, they can eat some of that and not die of starvation. And that's that's comparable to the 1%. But the 1% is really only a good thing if what you're growing is good. Because if you're growing marijuana, <laughs> like actually, I, I don't have problems with like my, you know, small doses of recreational marijuana personally. But, uh, you know, if what you're growing is hurting people, then like the 1% <laughs> is also hurting people. Mm-hmm. What's funny is I'm pretty sure what you used as an example <laughs> uh, is like you're growing if you're growing some weed <laughs> that people could that's why i started laughing i was like yep he's the one moving to California. well to i live in washington i've spent like most not most of my life but a good chunk of my life in uh weed legal states nice okay so washington was it legal before colorado i thought colorado was the first one i think colorado was the most famous one i i think washington mm. might have been first mm. but yeah that is uh I think that kind of concept would have been encouraging to me while, uh, so my first job and probably longest job, I think still the longest running job, uh, three to four years. Um, I worked at an industrial air conditioning company Mm. and, um, I went to dinner, uh, with my wife and a couple friends and one, uh, my wife, she worked in like, um, a poor neighborhood library and helped all (laughs) these children. And my my friend, uh, my friend's wife was a nurse, so she helped all these people. And my friend was like, when kids get kicked out of school, they go to one school. And when they get kicked out of th- that school, they go to his school. And they were all talking about their jobs. And I was like, you know, I, I help an air conditioning company make more money. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when you put it like that, like it was an industrial air conditioning company. And, and of course, those did it could heat as well. And so there are things you put on top of like Walmart and if mm-hmm. they didn't exist, Walmart would get really cold in winter. Like you were saying, so nobody would want to go bears would invade and Polar someone bears. might accidentally think, Oh, this is still a grocery store. <laughs> Walk in bear dead. So <laughs> I can see now how my job was helping. <laughs> helping no, but I mean, it really is. It's beneficial. I, I know that. So, uh, mm. when I worked for, uh, olive tree, uh, and you, mm-hmm. you would think that like, it's obvious how you're helping people working for olive tree. Like you're helping people find, you know, get access to the Bible, but it, it was something that I kind of had, had to work my way down the stack. Cause I worked on the website for olive tree. I didn't work on the app part where people were reading things, but the website promoted mm-hmm. the app and the app gave you the ability to read, uh, to read scripture wherever you are, which is really helpful if you're like me and you suffer from depression. And like I was, so at the time I was suffering from depression and I Mm. felt like my work was meaningless. And so I actually wrote out like a little catechism to work my way down the stack to the people that I was actually helping to kind of show Mm. myself that like the work that I'm doing glorifies God. And that, that means that like Mm. this is a worthwhile endeavor. And like, it means that I'm, I'm worthwhile in some sense that like, I'm not, I'm not this Mm. useless, you know, idle person. I'm actually helping, Mm. uh, helping people. Uh, and Mm. I think that, I think that can be, you don't have to write a catechism like I did because most people don't do that. Uh, but I think that idea (laughs) of, uh, working your way down the stack and figuring out how you're protecting people from bears or winter Mm. or I mean for crying out loud, just air conditioning. I don't know if they did uh, like home air conditioning, but like old people die in the extreme temperatures Mm -hmm. all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. And it might Mm -hmm. not even be, you know, you might be doing it for a family that's really, really rich, but if they didn't have air conditioning and they had an old person over that person could end up dying sooner because they spent time at, you know, your place and got really hot and sweaty or really cold or, you know, what have you. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. In in writing a catechism, is that like you did a question answer yeah. that led to the next question answer until you were able to say this is the conclusion? Yep. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, nice. I got to the like I was I was struggling with depression really hard, and I would like review that at lunch every day and just like try to remind myself mm-hmm. going like, going into the rest of the day like I'm here for a reason, like this is this is a good thing. Mm. 
Because for me, I, I did spend a lot of my life idle prior prior to getting that job. I kind of kicked around mm-hmm. a lot and didn't really have a job or the jobs that I had didn't make a lot of money or like this was my first time out on mm-hmm. my own. And uh, I was still dealing with a lot of the uh, guilt and shame from like spending years basically idle. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. I feel like that's... um. <clears throat> I mean, not your lessons, of course, but <laughs> not me. Um, but cool way to, you know, view view work uh, in a healthy way, um, and just to see, you know, look at these. Even though a lot of these companies are, you know, not Christian, they have no real Christian values at all, and and just reading even some of Salesforce, kind of the the things that they said they did to benefit society, I don't think is uh, necessarily uh, benefiting to society. Um, but you know, without going all the way down those roads, um, yeah, I I think it is a good encouragement to have a, a more full view of work, um, even beyond just the, especially more evangelical perspective of work is like work is your mission field where you can share the gospel. Um, and I think that's definitely viable too, as a way to use work, but, um, not, not just, not just in that realm, but having a job doing work is, um, valuable and glorifying to God just by the, the nature of, of how it benefits people. Yeah. I mean, there are way more commands to do your work heartily work for the common good, love your neighbor as yourself than there are to evangelize. Not to say like, I'm not making the case like, Oh, you shouldn't evangelize at work. But when you think about it, like mm-hmm. if you're just going by volume of commands, uh, you have mm-hmm. a lot more commands telling you to do your job, uh, and to help people mm-hmm. by doing your job, uh, than you do to. And, and, and that's why, like, I know a lot of Christians will take their, they'll take that to the extreme where it's like, well, you know, I work for this company that sells widgets that, you know, help people who are left-handed right. And I just don't care about it. And how is it actually helping people? It doesn't really matter, but work is my mission field. So I spend like most of my time, Mm -hmm. not actually doing my job, but instead sharing the gospel. Um, and that's, I think very problematic because you're commanded to do both. Mm -hmm. Um, and if anything, Mm -hmm. the, the weight of scriptural evidence is that you should definitely be doing your job while you're, while you're at work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, not that that's a valid hermeneutic to be like, well, it says five times to do this thing and only one time to do that (laughs) thing. So I'm going to do this thing five times. Um, that's not what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you mentioned feeling guilty about, uh, working for this air conditioning company. Do you think Mm -hmm. that is made? Not that what you're doing is illegitimate and like you should stop doing it, but do you think that's part of what maybe Mm -hmm. drove you to the mission field? Cause I know that's, that's super common where Christians feel like, Oh, I have to do a job that's actually serving, serving God and serving people. And the best and only way I know to do that is to share the gospel for a living. Not literally, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, um, I felt, I felt driven to the mission field pretty soon after I became a Christian, which was in college. Um, and so I already knew mm. that like, this is what I want to do. Um, and, and was kind of, you know, I was planning on to right after I graduated college. And then like right before that, I started dating Michelle and was like, well, okay, I guess I can get a job for a little <laughs> while. Um, and so, yeah, the, I think a lot of, a lot of that feeling, that feeling was probably um, more extreme because I knew what I wanted to be mm-hmm. doing. Um, but I think also there's just a, that it's a battle that I've had to deal with is significance, feeling significant, um, feeling like any work I'm doing, any job I'm doing is valuable and that I'm doing it right. Um, and, and so I think it's mainly unhealthy though, the ways that I have. And so in that place I was feeling like, Oh, the work I'm doing is not significant. And then on the mission field, I'm like, Oh, I'm not doing things in a way that, is significant or, mm-hmm. or I should be working on, I should maybe if I had a job, then I would be able to be more significant on the mission field because I'm actually in the job with the people. You know? <laughs> and so now that I ha- don't have the job that's in the air conditioning company, I want the job that's in the air conditioning. Company. <laughs> so just always want to jump back and forth. Um, and so I would, I would say that uh, more so than, than that feeling driving me to the mission field. It was, um, Maybe yeah, a catalyst. Yeah, I already for, wanted to do that. Maybe a catalyst for discontentment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that um, 
the struggle that you just described is something that you know it's a struggle for significance it's it's mm. easy i think to like gospel that away and say oh well jesus is significant and you get all your significance from him um but mm. i think it's possible because like you're, you're talking in terms of significance i'm talking in terms of usefulness or uh uselessness mm. mm-hmm. uh as a contrast but i think we're basically speaking the same language we're saying the same thing that like i feel like what i'm doing doesn't matter therefore i kind of don't matter mm. and i think that part mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. like psychological makeup, especially like you see this, uh, I, uh, I think a lot more commonly in males than in females, the, the desire to mm. do work that matters. I think that that is something that God built us built into us as humans, partly so that we have this, you know, part, partly it's, it's natural law. It's God building into us a desire to do work that glorifies him. Even if we don't intend to glorify him, uh, when we work for the mm. common good, we are promoting God's image by promoting the, uh, the life and uh, multiplying of his image bearers. Um, and then partly so that we don't get eaten by bears <laughs> because like <laughs> if men didn't have this psychological desire to do work that matters, nobody would do work that mattered. And, mm. and so, you know, we, we wouldn't have houses. We wouldn't have firewood. We wouldn't have, uh, you know, and on and on up the stack you can go, but mm. It, it is a, there's a balance because it's mm. easy to find what you might call your worth or to, to think that like, because I do work that matters, everything's fine. Everything's good. I don't actually mm. need Jesus. Mm. Well, that's not true. Mm. But at the same time, you don't want to push those feelings, those questions, those, uh, you don't you want to, you don't want to shove those entirely under the rug and say, it doesn't matter if I do work that's significant because Jesus's work was so significant, which it was. I'm, I'm not saying that it wasn't. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm a Christian. Um, but what we, what we don't want to do is shove those under the rug and then ignore God's law, ignore that God does tell us to work toward the common good, to love our neighbor as ourself. Um, and it's, I mm-hmm. think it's the same with, with, with many sins and, and, uh, duties that we have, uh, that, that God gives us many, many duties and it's easy to rest in the fact that we're doing those duties instead of resting in Christ. And that's wrong, but, uh, uh we don't want to mm-hmm. fall off the fall off the horse onto the other side of the road, uh, into the other ditch of thinking that because, uh, because we have Jesus now we're no longer called to do these duties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, even beyond thinking in terms of duty, um, you know, I feel like just thinking in terms of duty lends itself to minimalism. Like as long as I'm doing my duties, everything is okay. Um, and so I don't want to get the idea that if we're, if we're not doing above and beyond the, the call of God, the commands of God, then, um, then there should be shame and there should be guilt and, and feeling like we're not doing everything that we're supposed to be doing. Um, but at the same time, um, I see this idea of one, one, one philanthropic, philanthropic model that Salesforce has as, as having almost that minimalistic mindset. And that's what I was getting at earlier mm-hmm. of like, Oh, I, I'm doing 1%, 1%, 1%. I'm good. Um, so I don't have to worry about it. Now I can just go and make money. Um, and and I think it's easy. Um, it, it may be easy to get into the mindset of like, well, I just need to do my duties and you know, for, for God and then I'm good. Um, but, you know, of course we know we always fail uh, at doing our duties for God. Um, and, and I think, I think kind of the, the walk that we're called into, I look at the, the, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan and you know, the, the guy asks, um, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and self, and love your neighbor as yourself. And um, mind and strength, I said self. Um, and then he says, well, seeking to justify himself, he says, well, who is my neighbor? Um, and Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, and then Jesus says, well, who, who became the neighbor to that person? Um, and there was the, the Samaritan. <laughs> Um, and so Jesus, you know, the lawyer, I feel like was saying, what's the 1%, who's the 1% that's my neighbor. Um, and then Jesus says, who became the neighbor, who, who went above and beyond and didn't just think, well, he's not my neighbor, so I can just keep going. But who said like, I just want to love neighbors. And so the more neighbors that I can love, the better. Um, and I feel like that's the freedom 
that we gain when we're free from condemnation from the law is that we don't just have to worry about doing the the law, but we're free to to just pursue pursue more and more and more um, without guilt and shame that we're not doing enough, but um, whatever we can do. So do you mind pushback? Yeah, I'm going to go fight you. I'm going to verbally sock you in the jaw like I did Craig last week. <laughs> um, I think I know what you're getting at. And I think, mm. I think I want to agree with you before I disagree. Uh, mm. What I want to say is we as Christians have a perception of like, oh, the minimum that we need to do, I'm going to do that and get by. Like we have this perception of like the, the minimum, but I think where I disagree with you and, and maybe this is just a linguistic thing is in saying that like following mm. God's law is the minimum, like following God's law is, is the actual minimum. That's the, that's like, it's not just the minimum. It's also the maximum. Uh, it is, it is the thing that we are supposed to do. Jesus obeyed God's law perfectly. And there is, there was no mm. such thing for Jesus is going above and beyond God's law. He like God's law is to live a life that is perfectly morally acceptable to God. Every time that you should have done something, you did that thing. Every time you shouldn't have done something, uh, you didn't do that thing. Mm. Um, Mm-hmm. But very frequently, especially like whether you're a legalist or, or whether you are a, um, uh, what's the, an antinomian, um, Mm. regardless of which side of the road, what we end up doing is softening God's law. What we end up doing is saying, mm. Oh, like I need to do this thing. You know, God says, love your neighbor as my, as, as yourself. And for me, that means giving 5% to charity. And it's like, well, that's not like, and so now I can be a jerk to my, I can be a jerk to my spouse. I can be a jerk to my neighbor, you know, whatever, because I'm giving the 5% or whatever. Like we don't do that mm. consciously, but we do it. We do it subconsciously and we feel like, well, I'm doing this thing that God wants me to do. And so I'm good. Um, but the idea, so this is from, and, uh, listeners, you, if, if you know how much I dislike Anglicans, uh, you'll know that this is probably the only time <laughs> you will ever hear me read from the 39 articles, uh, of the church of England. Uh, but I really like how they put this, uh, it's a voluntary works besides over and above God's commands. Uh, or God commandments, which they call works of supererogation, referring to the Catholics cannot be taught without arrogance and impiety for by them men do declare that they do not only render unto God so much as they are bound to do, but that they do more for his sake than of bounden than of bounden duty required. Whereas Christ saith plainly, when ye have done all that are commanded to you say we are unprofitable servants. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's a, there's a humility in saying, that uh, I will never be able to go above and beyond what God has commanded in this life. Mm -hmm. I will never even be Mm -hmm. able to approach what God has commanded. It's not that we want to uh, do. It's not that we want to do God's law and that's the minimum. And then we're done. Like, Oh, like I'm not going to go the extra mile. It's that, we see God's law as being so perfect and so righteous that we know that we're not even going to get there. And that going beyond it is, is simply impossible because it can't, we can't be better than what God expects because God's expectations are perfect. Hmm. I, I feel like, um, and I pretty much agree with everything you said too. Um, and so we're in danger of the, maybe wanting to emphasize two different mm. points um, and wanting the other person to emphasize that point. And so we just keep being unhappy because <laughs> the other person's only emphasizing their points. So I think there's a danger here um, in doing that. And so I want to try to express, like, I feel like there's two types uh, and, I, and I don't understand this. I don't have the right language for this. So definitely help me out. Um, there's, you know, do not murder. That's a command that I can mm-hmm. do a hundred percent of, you know, like I can never murder a hundred percent of the time. Great. Um, But then there's give. You're not a bear. (laughs) And then there's not a bear, (laughs) but then there's like give cheerfully. So you said the 5%, Mm -hmm. um, a hundred percent of the time I can give cheerfully. Um, but could I give 6%? Could I give 7%? Could I have eight? Could I give nine? Could I have 10? Could I have a hundred? Um, you know, pray without seizing, uh, however you want to understand that verse. Could I pray for one hour? Could I pray for two hours? Could I pray for three hours? Could I pray for four hours? Yeah. You know, and maybe, maybe pray without seizing fixes that, but you know, think of, you know, the Bible reading, anything spiritual discipline, like fasting. Could I fast for a month? Probably mm-hmm. maybe <laughs> at this age. <laughs> um, and so I see commands, love your neighbor is probably another good one. I see commands that could be done 
with a minimalist mindset. Okay. I gave 1% cheerfully filled that command. Cool. Um, I loved my neighbor in this situation. Cool. Um, and so I guess in, in looking at those kind of things specifically, um, where you can always, it, it seems as if you can always do more. Um, like there's always more time. There's always more, not always more money, but for some people like, like Benny is $16 million. He, there's always more money, you know, um, to, that could be given. Uh, and I guess a minimalist mindset is like, well, I've given enough and a maximalist mindset is could I, could I give more and not, not out of, not out of shame, not out of condemnation, not to get God's favor. Like if I don't give more, I'm wrong, <laughs> you know, but maybe if I could give more great. Or do you think that they're in, so they're in the last question in that. So do you think it is like that where we can have that mindset healthily of, Oh, you know, there's, I could always pray more. Therefore, do we have this requirement of you have to pray more? I could give more. Is there a requirement? I have to give more until I literally can't give more to meet the law. Or is it, no, we're free to, we're free to give such a much, such amount or we're free to pray this. I don't know. Um, but could we do more? Um, yes, we could. And maybe we should strive to continue growing even greater. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> And does that make sense? Yeah, uh, it does make sense. I think that I think there's a bunch of factors here. Um, so Paul, hmm. on the one hand, says uh, pray without ceasing, and probably nobody hmm. takes that completely literally. Like there's there what Paul is mm-hmm. saying is is that your whole life should be in prayer to God. That you should. I mean, you're going to say Amen. That's a thing, but you should never feel like. <laughs> I haven't been praying like that should be, that should be the mm-hmm. furthest thing from, from your mind. Like I've, I've taken a break mm-hmm. from praying. I don't pray anymore. Um, that you should mm-hmm. always feel like you can approach God and you should always approach God whenever you need to. Um, whether on behalf of yourself or on behalf of others or because you have praise, etc. cetera. Uh, but at the same time, Paul says, if any man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. Let let him not eat. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, I mean, how am I supposed to eat? and pray because <laughs> if I stop mm. working so that I can pray, then I won't eat. And if I don't eat, then I have to stop praying because I'm dead. Um, mm. And so there's, there's always a balance to be struck. Uh, there, there's always a, like it, part of the Christian life is figuring out what's required of you at any given moment, uh, figuring out how, how much of your life you can reasonably give to specifically the act of praying. Um, and, and there are commands in the Bible that seem to indicate that morning and evening is it like a time of prayer in the morning and in the evening are, are what he are, what he expects. And people might disagree with me on that. I totally understand. Plus, plus giving uh, the Lord's day Sunday to him, I, I would also argue, but regardless, like there's, there's always that question of balance. Like what should I be doing at any given moment? Um, and those are calls that are often left up to wisdom where like we have all of God's commands. We know what he expects of us and it's kind of our job to figure out what he expects of us right now. Um, and, but for someone like Jesus, no one would ever look at what he's doing and say, you know, Jesus, you're healing people, but you only prayed for an hour and a half today. You should have prayed for mm. two hours and not healed these three people. Cause you know, they didn't really deserve it. Um, like nobody, nobody mm. could look at Jesus and say that everything that he does, everything that he did was perfect obedience to God. Um, and none mm. of us can ever hope to achieve that. So while there is the question of like, should I be praying more? That's obviously always going to be a question, but it's, it's not, should I be praying mm. more because have I checked the box? It's should I be praying more because mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. are things in my life that I'm doing that like I shouldn't be that, that are a waste of time. And I should either use that time to pray more or to help people more or to, you know, do, do something that does honor God. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess the, the thing that I'm driving at is the idea that at the end, and I don't think that you believe this at the end of the day or, you know, at the end of our lives, God's going to say, well, in these areas, you met my requirements in these areas you failed. And in these areas, you exceeded expectations. Like we're never, mm-hmm. ever going to get to that point ever, but we can mm-hmm. exceed our mm-hmm. own expectations. Mm-hmm. We can, we can think we're doing the minimum mm-hmm. and then realize, Oh, there's more that I can do. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's, um, 
I don't know. I, uh, I agree with all that. And I think, and that everything you said fits my emphasis, like you're saying that, uh, or like I was saying, um, you know, I would see, okay, I'm doing the 1%. Should I be giving the 2%, you know, mm-hmm. um, is it, is it wise? Is am I able, what, how can I love God better? How can I love my neighbor better? And that should always be our heart to be striving forward towards that. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah. and so whether that's seen as in, in uh, this, uh, yeah, maybe I don't just have the right language for it with law. Um, I feel like at least the, the connotation of my culture, <laughs> at least whenever I hear the word law, I think, you know, meet these and I won't be condemned, I guess. Um, and so this is, this is all I have to do. Um, and so maybe the, maybe because we can never fully comp- do the law perfectly, um, that that says, you know, I will always be able to strive to love God better and always be able to strive to love my neighbor better. And I guess that's, that's all that I'm really shooting for. Um, in that is if I just think what's, and see, this is where connotation comes in. If I just think what's my duty, then I'm just saying, well, if I give the 1%, I check the box and I can Mm -hmm. move on. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I guess it would be a healthier way maybe to get both of our emphasis in there my duty is always far more than what I'm doing. Um, maybe, but there's, but there's grace in that. Um, cause I'm never going to be able to do the law perfectly. So my duty is always greater. There's grace in that. And so, because I'm not so just like, well, I'm condemned. I give up. I should always be striving forward towards loving God more, loving my neighbor more just to get as out close as possible, I guess. I don't know. Does that seem to fit? Yeah, I I would want to clarify that like I don't think that God's commands are impossible to be followed in any way at all ever like I think there are times when Mm. somebody says hey man like you know when you're when you're when your friend from church comes up to you and says hey I need money for rent you know my family and I are going to be out on the street if if I don't get money for rent and you have the means and you provide that money and you do it in a way like it's possible for you to have obeyed exactly what God expects of you you know helping helping people especially in your local congregation uh, and you know you did exactly what God wanted you to. And that's great. There's more to do in the sense that like, if you have the means, you should also be helping other people. But like what I don't want to, what I don't want to say is like, well, what you should have done was given him next month's rent and then the next month's rent and then the next month's rent. Like, no, like n- nobody is arguing that you should do that. You did follow God's command. Your heart probably wasn't completely like, you know, did you, did you let your, let your left hand know what your right hand was doing? Did you, did you feel justified in your own heart about it? Like where, you know, probably you screwed it up in some way. You definitely screwed it up in some way. I think it was John Owen or Richard. Somebody, one of the Puritans said there's enough sin in even my best prayer to condemn the whole world to hell. Uh, And so we never, we never obey any of God's laws perfectly, but the action itself can be done in a way that is correct. You know, if, if God tells you to like, technically I'm following one part of the do not just like you, I'm following one part of do not murder all the time. I've never actually killed anyone. Um, but yeah, other, otherwise I, I do agree. I think that, um, I think we're probably on the same page now. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we probably we have different. We also may um, have different yeah. different understandings we're on of the, the same law. Page. Uh, That's what I was going to say. Yeah, but then I didn't want to get into it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not going to say maybe that. Maybe an after show. Or, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I feel like most of this is after show almost, but it's like just do it. I also at least two episodes at once. <laughs> I also just want to point out on the public on the public thing because I've been mulling this over as as we've been talking, and we're late anyway, so I might as well mm-hmm. say it you running a business that makes investors money. Like investors are people who definitionally have truckloads and truckloads of money. That's why they're giving you money is because they have so much of it. They're (laughs) looking for things to do with it, but they're also looking for things to do with it. That will get them more money in return, which is the other reason why they're doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people would look at that. A lot of woke people would look at that and say, that's wrong. You're just feeding the fat cats. 
right? Uh, mm. but the thing is that when those people do get that more money, they then invest it in other companies and that creates jobs and the mm. creation of jobs is a good thing. And you don't, you don't necessarily know what every person in wall street is going to be doing with their money. They may reinvest it. They may give it to mm. charity. Who knows where that money is going to go? There's nothing there. I don't want to say that there's something inherently wrong with going public because now you're just serving all these, you know, old white guys who already have more than enough money mm. because there's not actually anything necessarily inherently wrong with that, but it does bring a level of nuance mm. to how do you run your company when there are other voices involved that you need to be prepared mm. for going in. Mm. Yep. I agree. All right. Well, I think it's good. We, we did end with, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel like, you know, it's our duty to protect ourselves from bears, but we could go above and beyond our duty to get old people more money. You know? <laughs> That's the idea. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've summarized it perfectly. If you feel endangered by bears or if you are trying to give white people money, uh, we'd love to have you on our Slack uh, and share about <laughs> how you're doing that. <laughs> also other categories of people. <laughs> You can also find our old episodes by going to techreformation.com and we would like to encourage you if you like this episode, if you like one of the other episodes that you listen to, share it with a friend because the only way people find out about this show is if you tell them about it because all of us down to a man are terrible at advertising for the show. (laughs) We're all a bunch of nerdy people who don't like talking to people. I don't, I don't mention this show to people like, well, I guess I just don't have that many like techie (laughs) friends, but (laughs) we need you listener to be our ambassadors. (laughs) This has been episode 190 of the tech reformation where the world of technology meets the worldview of Christianity. Thank you for listening and we'll see you again next week. Choice and I ain't looking back